So we are carrying on with our series in the book of Mark, um, A Journey to the Cross. And we are in the final week of Jesus' life. Last week we spoke about the Passover. So today Jesus has finished the Passover meal. And um, he's, going to his, he's going away with his disciples to the Mount of Olives. And we're just going to pick up the story from there. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 today. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there. If not, the watch should hopefully come up on the screen. And we're going to be reading from chap- um, verses 26 to 31 and 66 to 72. Verse 26, Mark chapter 14. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. We're going to just take a brief pause there. So here Jesus predicts that the courage of his disciples would all fail them and they would all forsake him. But none of them were having it. Neither Peter nor the rest of the disciples, they were not having it. And also, however, Jesus also predicted that in his mercy, he he wasn't writing them off. Because in verse 14, he says there, But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus was already promising them that after his resurrection, he was going to go before them to Galilee. In other words, he wasn't finishing with them yet. He wasn't writing them off, even though he knew they were all going to fail him. There was already a promise of restoration in place even before they failed him. What an amazing God. Who sees and knows the depths of our heart and still loves us the same. And despite our shortcomings, He's fully committed to us. He picks up, up, picks us up, he restores us, and he just never lets us go. While we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. We didn't get to act together. It was while we were still sinners, and it's such an amazing thing that we have such a wonderful Savior. Let's carry on reading. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also are with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, And neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Okay, so now, uh, first impressions. When you first read those few verses, you think, wow, this is all about Peter. And that's why I first thought when I read it. Well, then I just kept reading over and over again, and I thought, wow, this is not really about Peter. This is more about Jesus and about his grace for us. 
This is about laying hold of grace. This is a reminder of God's unconditional commitment to us. And the fact that we will miss the mark so many times. However, the security of our salvation is not dependent on anything we bring to the table. Our salvation is, ne- is not based on the level of our faith. It's not based on the strength of our commitment to him, but it's dependent on God and his wonderful grace and the price that Jesus paid. Well, let's look at the life of Peter. Peter is one of those people you either really love or you really want to avoid having a relationship with. I don't know whether you know people like that. Very impulsive, minimal thinking, more doing. They act first before and they think afterwards. Do you know anyone like that? And depending on how you are wired, you might probably think, oh, wow, that's such a courageous person. But if you're like me, you probably think, does this guy never use his brain? And sometimes he does things that you actually wonder why he does them. But one thing you can never say about Peter is that he never shies away from stepping out. And he did have strength of character. In fact, his courage probably distinguished him above all the other disciples. In Mark chapter 1, Peter wasn't afraid to answer the call to follow follow Jesus. He left everything. In Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus was walking on water, it was Peter that stepped out and attempted to walk on water towards Jesus. In Mark chapter 8, when Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was, it was Jesus that shouted that you are the son of the living God. And in Mark chapter 9, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John were with Peter, it was Peter that wanted to build three tents to house um, the people that appeared to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 14, when they were surrounded by a large contingent that wanted to um, arrest Jesus, it was Jesus, it was um, Peter that brought out his sword and cut off the heir of Marcus. And in Mark chapter 15, when Jesus was arrested, out of all the 12 disciples, only, only Peter and another, another unnamed disciple followed Jesus all the way to the high priest courtyard. All the other disciples fled for their lives. So we wouldn't say Jesus, um, Peter didn't have any form of courage. It was, it was courageous. However, as Jesus predicted, under pressure, twice from a powerless servant girl, and the third time from bystanders, his courage and his strength of character failed him. He disclaimed any link with Jesus, and he pleaded ignorance of knowing the one he called out to be the son of the living God only a few weeks ago. And he actually decided to call costs upon himself. At least it didn't cost anyone else. He only cost himself that he never knew Jesus. But we thank God that that was in the end of Peter's story. The rooster crowed twice, the second time. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said. And as soon as he realized, he had the courage not to stay down, but he found the grace to repent. And he broke down and he wept. Maybe, just maybe there might be a chance for him. And there was. And I don't know if you've, if you've um, seen this before and after adverts on telly. It's mainly to do with diets. They show you this person that's like really big and that lost this so many pounds in a week. And you wonder, wow, is that really possible? And I work in a pharmacy and we do sell this product that is supposed to be really good for tired eyes. So if you have bags under your eyes or you have wrinkles, you just need to put this cream on and it does its magic. And people ask, because it's quite expensive, they say to you, does this thing work? Does it work? And I said, well, personally, I haven't tried it, so I don't know whether it works. Well, there's a picture on the box. It shows you that this is the before and this is the after. So (laughs) 
Well, this lady came one day and she said, oh, this thing really works. It really works. I'm going to show you. So she put a little bit on, on her face. She went shopping. And then, lo and behold, she came back. This thing actually worked. I was different from what it looked like a few minutes, a few minutes earlier. So, wow. So I actually had a first and experience. So when people now come and say, does this work? I said, I haven't used this, but I saw a lady that put it on and it works. So now, uh, talking about Peter, let's look at his attitude before grace, before he encountered Jesus' grace and after. Let's look at his attitude before. What was Peter like? Peter was confident in the flesh. He was confident in his own ability not to deny Jesus, even if it cost him his life. Verse 31 of Mark 14, he said, if I must, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So he trusted in his own ability not to deny Jesus. But he did. Peter also had an overestimation of his love and his devotion to Jesus. In verse 29, he said, even though they all fall away, I will not. Basically, he was saying, I'm better than them. The other 11 might fall away, but I will never deny you, Jesus. He boasted and he swore that he would stay close to Jesus, but he didn't. Peter was also out of touch with the reality of his own weakness. He had good intentions, but he did not know how weak he really was. And despite his good intentions, he publicly denies Jesus. But the beautiful thing that is that he didn't stay there. We know that after, Jesus, after um, Peter's denial, the Lord lovingly forgave him and restored him to a place of trust. And he repented. So let's look at Peter's attitude after he encountered the grace of God. And in, there's a story in John 21. Jesus um, appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. The disciples had almost said they've gone back fishing and they caught not, nothing all night. And at daybreak, um, um, this guy by the sea, they didn't realize it was Jesus, said to them, cast your net by the right side of the boat and you will catch um, something. And they did. And then one of them realized that it was Jesus. So let's read the story in John 21, verse 7 and 8. I just love Peter's reaction here. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Typical Peter. He couldn't wait to get to Jesus. He just jumped into the sea while the others came along in the boat. That's what he did when he had Jesus was alive as well. He ran all the way to the tomb. He was free from shame. He was free from fear. Even though he had denied Jesus, all that was done. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't feeling bashful. All he wanted to do was get to Jesus. And further down the passage in John 21, after they've had breakfast, Peter had to affirm his love to Jesus three times, the same number of times he denied him. And he was restored. And in Acts chapter 2, the power of grace, we see a restored Peter full of the Holy Ghost preaching the gospel and 3,000 people were saved. Peter wrote two books in the New Testament, the first Peter and second Peter. And they were practical letters of encouragement to Christians that are suffering. And all throughout that book, when you read it, it's just encouraging them to keep going and not to give up. To keep going to the end. And we're just going to read a couple of verses in First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. It 
He says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is someone who's gone through that himself. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, he was, he was um, encouraging his fellow elders and he concludes with, concludes with this verse, 1 Peter 5.10. And he says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. This is the power of grace at work in Peter's life. And we see the power of the Holy Spirit at work transforming the life of Peter. What a journey. What a journey. And that's the journey we are on to as well. It's exciting. The journey of transformation by grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Becoming more and more like Jesus. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So that's, what we, that's the journey we are on, the journey of transformation, the journey of grace shaping us and making us more and more like Jesus. So what can we learn from this story of Peter? What things can we apply from these passages that we have just read? And how can this become a practical thing in our lives? So I've got three points I want us to go through. The first one is taking God's word seriously. Taking God's word seriously. I think... Probably, there could have been a different outcome. I don't know, I'm just guessing. Before the denial, Peter did not really pay close attention to what Jesus was saying to him. Jesus, the master, was telling him, Peter, you're going to deny me. But he would say, oh no, not me, never. He thought he knew better and he had other, other ideas. He wasn't really paying close attention to the words of Jesus. Maybe there could have been a different outcome. I don't know. But how about us? How do we respond to the word of God? God graciously speaks to us in different ways. Sunday, the word of God is preached. We personally study the word of God. We have midweek communities. God speaks to us through one another. What is our attitude towards the word of God that we hear? Do we pay enough attention to the word of God? Do we place enough value and worth to the word of God in our daily lives? When we make decisions, does the word of God have anything to do with it? Does the word of God future in our thought processes? How do we respond on Sundays or when we hear the word of God? Do we pay lip service to it? Do we discount it? Do we disregard it? Or do we respond, apply, and put it into action? Just remember the parable of the sower. It's the same seed that was sown, but it fell on different types of soil. And the fruit that came out was dependent on the type of soil he fell on. So we all hear the word of God, but the outcome in our lives depends on what we do with the word of God that we hear. And during the Psalm series, I remember Hannah beautifully illustrated to us how we can pray scriptures into action. I mean, if you weren't here, or even if you were, it's a good advice just to go back and listen to that podcast again and remind ourselves how we can actually pray the word of God into action. The Bible encourages us to rightly handle the word of God. James chapter 1 Verse 22 and 23 and 25. It says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty 
and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So it's the, it's the doing. It's from the doing that the blessing comes. Loving God means paying attention to his words as well as obeying and doing what he says. Let's commit to being a people that are responsive to God. A people who respond to God and to his word. The second point is we need to live by the Spirit. We need to live by the Spirit. The Bible discourages us to have any form of confidence in our strength of character to be able to overcome sin because we can't do it. Neither can we have any form of confidence in the flesh or our human ability to love God or to obey him or to please him. We can't do it. Romans chapter 8 verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And Philippians 3.3, 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Peter suffered from a common human ailment. He wanted to do good. He wanted to be good, but he was not always able to live up to his goals. The same Peter who cried out to Jesus, you are the son of the living God, denied all knowledge of him. Peter really loved Jesus and he wanted to go all the way, but he couldn't in his own human ability. Neither can we. But we have been given a helper in the person of the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to live by the Spirit, and this means totally relying on our helper, the one who has been sent alongside to help us. Jesus knew that we couldn't run this race by ourselves. We couldn't, we can't obey or please God in our own strength. That's why he gave us our, our helper, and he comes alongside us. And personally, I have come to a conclusion that it's only the Holy Spirit that can help me not to deny Jesus. Because I do deny Jesus, I don't know about you. And how, you probably say, how do you deny Jesus? Sometimes by my words or my lack of words. Sometimes by my actions and sometimes by my disobedience. There have been times I've refused to be an effective witness, either by my words or by my actions. Those times I've spoken up, I've not spoken up when I should have spoken up about my faith or what I believe. Those times I've kept silent. And there are times I should have kept silent. And I've spoken up. And I've allowed my emotions to get the better of me. And the actions was not God glorifying. In those times, my actions deny Jesus. And without, without the help of the Holy Spirit, my priorities and my desires are all over the place. And wholehearted devotion is actually an impossibility. Over the past few weeks, months, even longer, God has been challenging me about my attitude the attitude of my heart towards people. Being able to see people as Jesus did, past the attitudes and the behavior. My job involves dealing with people all the time. And sincerely, I believe some people have been sent out to really test my faith. <laughs> but what I'm learning very, very, very slowly is that in my own strength, I can't love people. I can't respond to people with the correct attitude. I just fall flat on my face. I deny Jesus. I desperately need the Holy Spirit. And I'm, what I'm learning is to, to quickly respond and ask the Holy Spirit to help me and rely on his help. And this goes for every aspect of our lives. As a wife, a husband, father, mother, brother, sister, auntie, uncle, employer, employee. The list is endless. We need the Holy Spirit. 
We need to be relying on the Holy Spirit. We can't do these things by ourselves. We need to walk by the Spirit. We need to live by the Spirit. And we need to keep in step with the Spirit. This means developing our relationship with our helper and growing in our dependence on him. He's the one and the only one that can help us to live to please God. Let's not model through life in our own strength. Let us learn to trust his leading. And as we trust, us to, as we trust him to lead us in the basics, then when real tough solutions arise, we would be able to respond. Because those times really come, difficult times will come. If, we, if we're not dependent on the Holy Spirit in the small bits of life, then when the difficult situation comes, it's difficult to depend on him. So let's learn to be a people who commit to depend on the Holy Spirit. A people who are walking, living, and keeping in step with the Spirit. And, it's, and then the next point is that it's all about grace. It's all about grace. And we've been, we've been singing about grace during our time of worship. And we all have our moments when we overestimate our devotion to God. Or we trust ourselves instead of his word. And we deny the one we love. But, and that's a big but, but God, he never gives up on us. There may not be a rooster to crow and remind us to break the silence of our pride, but we hear the sweet sound of grace. And grace enables us, when we fail Jesus, not to brush it under the carpet and pretend and hide our failures and pretend it hasn't happened. Neither does grace allow us to excuse it away. <laughs> right. So the grace of God does not allow us to excuse our failures, neither does it allow us to hide it away. But grace enables us to be quick to repent. And the grace of God enables us to be able to fly to Jesus like Jesus, like Peter flew to Jesus, and to keep our eyes on him. When we experience the grace of God, it changes us. And we have all, if you're a Christian here, you have experienced the grace of God as salvation. But it doesn't stop there. We carry on living the Christian life by grace. Colossians 2 verse 6 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And how did you receive Christ Jesus? By, by grace through faith. And that's how we carry on walking the Christian life. By grace through faith. Grace is not just a one-time experience that we move on from, that we graduate from after our salvation, but we grow in grace and we allow the grace of God to teach us and to transform us. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. That's what the grace of God does. It teaches us to say no to sin. And it trains us to renounce worldly passions and to live a life that's God-glorifying. And when we know the grace of God, we know and understand, that we know and understand God's heart of acceptance and forgiveness. That's what the grace of God does. And the grace of God creates a freedom in us to be open and honest about our weaknesses and our failures. The grace, the grace of God keeps us humble. It frees us from condemnation and from shame and from fear. And the grace of God woos us and draws us near to God. 
and it enables us to move past our failures and our weaknesses so that they don't define our future. This sermon shows how um, Jesus tells Peter to move on and how he plunged his failure into God's grace so that he may be used of God. And I relate to Peter, I don't know about you, and it's uh, the Christian life is learning to plunge our failures into the grace of God so that God may use us. God uses us because of what we've gone through. So we go through different experiences in life that shape us and make us who we are today. We learn from our failures and we learn from our shortcomings, but we don't allow them to define us. And so if you have been saved by grace, when you fail, it's not the end of the road, but rather is a means of, a, of personal and spiritual growth because you can learn from your mistakes. You can get up and you can try again. Peter wasn't a quitter. Anytime he fell, he got up and he tried again. Anytime he fell, he got up, he tried again. And that's, that should be our story. Anytime we fail, we get up, we try again. We don't give up on ourselves. We don't give up on God. But we get up and we try again. None of what we'll ever do will ever catch Jesus by surprise. You can never surprise Jesus by your failure. I hope you know that. Because he knows and from his perspective, nothing you will ever do will change his love for you. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. He also knows every one of our sins before he went to the cross. And he gave his life to cleanse us from our sins. So we can't surprise him. We can't disappoint him. We can't let him down. But when we fail him, we need to repent, get up, and go again. Jesus prayed for Peter. He prayed that his faith would not fail him. And Jesus is praying for us. The Bible says he's interceding for us. Romans chapter 8 verse 34. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He's interceding for us. And if he chooses to deliver us from a situation, he can. And if not, he's at the right hand of God the Father. Praying us through it. Just as he was praying for Peter. And like he did with Peter, who used that situation... To demonstrate what his love, grace, and power can accomplish in the life of a willing believer. As I come to conclusion now, I just want us to, to remind each one of us that Jesus has a purpose for each of our lives. He has a purpose in his service for each one of us. And there's an overflow of God's wonderful grace, the grace that we don't deserve. God is not stingy with his grace. And because of that, we know there is more in God for us, for each one of us. There is more that God has in store for us in Welling than where we are at at the moment. There's more souls to be won. There's more ground to be taken. And guess what? It's us that God is going to use. There's more to you right now than where you are at. There's more to your life than what you are allowing your current circumstances to dictate. There's more to your life than what you're allowing your past to dictate. Are there limits that you have placed on yourself because of what you're currently going through? Are there limits that you're placing on yourself because of what's going on in your past? What are those things that God has been stirring in your heart that you have discounted yourself because of your past failures? Maybe you feel you feel the, you feel the Lord miserably 
and there's no hope for you. The thing is, you can't really blow your chances with God. He's not a human being that your last chance, that's not how God operates. We have to keep coming and coming and coming and he, he never ever gives up on us. Peter could have written himself off. Other people could have written him off. They probably did. But God didn't write him off. And God doesn't write us off. This is the story of grace. But God. But God. Let Peter's story encourage you today. No matter how far you've fallen or how deep your shame, Jesus will forgive, he will restore, and he will give you a purpose for his service. All we need to do is to plunge our failure into his grace. That's all he demands from us, to put our failure into his grace and to turn to him. um, The word from worship, Jesus was saying to us, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Look away from what's going on. That's not what's, that's what's, that is not what is defining you. What you're going through is not what defines you. What defines you is the grace of God and what the word of God says about you. So what it is, what is it that you're going through at the moment that you are allowing to shape you and to put you into this box and you are defining yourself based on your circumstances? The word for us today is lift up your eyes. Look, look up. Look up. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You are not there where you are seeing yourself. We need to lift our gaze. Such wonderful grace demands a response from the heart because God delights in truth. Psalm 51, verse 6 and, verse 6 and 17 says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the sacred heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So what, God is, what is God asking from us this afternoon? Truth in the inward being. So let's, let's take a moment to search our hearts and really respond to this amazing grace that God has lavished upon us. Have you tasted and experienced the grace of God? You might be here today. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you love Jesus? This is the starting point. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Why not come and taste and see that the Lord is good? Why not open your heart to the grace of God and let him really shower his and lavish his grace upon you? And if you're a child of God here today, are there things you need to put down? Are there things you need to take off? Lies from the enemy, baggage from the past. Have you been discounting yourself for whatever reason? Do you need to plunge yourself into the lavish grace of God and begin to rise up with confidence of who you are in Christ? Do you, need to, do you need to begin to play your part in what God is doing? And if you are doing that already, do you need to step into more grace so that you can experience the fullness of all that God has in store for us? We all need to lay hold of grace wherever we're at in our work with God. I'm going to ask Rowena and the band to come back up now. And we're going to respond to God. We're going to sing uh, this song just to express our heart to God. And as we sing, let's commune with God in our hearts. Let's tell God as it is. He sees it anyway. 
but he still wants us to confess, to repent, and, and then we're going to spend time to pray for one another. God's promise is to restore us. And so what, what is it that you want to take home today? Do you want to start to take God's word seriously? Do you want to stop putting confidence in the flesh and trust the Holy Spirit as your helper? Do you want to put the past in the past? And if you hear you've never said yes to Jesus, you can also respond to his grace today. The hope we have in life is only because of the grace of God. It's nothing that we bring to the table.